Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right, this is it. This is, this is my last time up here for a long time. I know. Guys, thanks for the compassion. I feel that. Um, can I, I want to tell a couple of stories to start. I feel like I have a lot of freedom uh, because this is my last class. And, all, and honestly, I, uh, I was hanging out with Ernie this week at lunch, and I told him the, t- the, t- the class is 13 weeks. And the unfortunate thing about my series is it, it would, it's a perfect series for a 10-week class. So it's the five points of Calvinism, the five solas, and I added an intro on there. And this week, I'm like, honestly, I'm not sure I'm going to talk about this morning. Uh, and, well, that was like, you know, a few days ago. I obviously have content now. Um, but I wanted to start off with a couple of stories because I feel like I have freedom. It's my last time up here. You know, what's going to happen? Uh, so the first story is the first time uh, that I spoke at Faith Bible Church. So it was my first semester on staff. I'm 22, you know, fresh out of college, newly married, coming here to conquer the world. And um, I'm asked to read scripture by Colton Allen, who, if you've been here for a few years, he was the campus director at USI before me. And I wasn't prepped at all for how to read scripture at Faith Bible. You know, it's not that it's complex, but you're supposed to do a couple things, right? You're supposed to go up there, you're supposed to uh, read the scripture, you're supposed to pray on the bulletin. And I, I had no idea, so I just go up there and I read the scripture and then I just walk off. And Mike Schaus is looking at me like, what is this guy doing? Who is this guy? I've never seen him before. Why is he just leaving? Is he mad at me or something? Uh, and I'm standing there talking to Jen. I'm like, did I do something wrong? Why is everyone like awkwardly sitting here? And Mike's like, okay, let's pray. Uh, so, you know, I honestly am reminded of that almost every Sunday because we <laughs> read scripture and no one else has ever forgotten to pray. Um, so I just figured I would tell that story because um, it's a good one. But yesterday, Jen and I went on a date, and uh, you know, so people ask me, you know, because I'm obviously have a seasoned parent at this point of a two-year-old, and people often ask me, you know, what, what like new people who are pregnant about to have kids, what's the biggest thing that I need to do now to prepare myself to have kids? And you know, w- my wisdom would say one thing you lose your freedom, right? If you're a parent, you realize when you have kids, the freedom is gone. And what I mean is my first year on staff, before we had kids, my day off was Saturday, and I would go to the movies every Saturday. No questions asked. I'd go watch a $4 matinee, hang out at AMC for a few hours, go back home, watch football all day. Since I've had Cora, I've probably been to the movies like three times, you know, and something I, I love so much. But yesterday we got a babysitter, and Jen and I went to the movies, and this is a plug for this movie, but A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Have you seen the previews for this movie? I don't know if you're a big movie person. If you're not, it's okay. But this movie is about Mr. Rogers, and I never watched Mr. Rogers, because that's before my time. Uh, but this movie, friends, this, this movie, I'm not kidding you, I was on the edge of my seat the entire movie. I know that sounds insane, but it was an amazing movie. And I left the movie thinking, Mr. Rogers had to be a Christian. Like, if, if you watch this movie and you, you just hear the way he interacts with people, I mean, it is beautiful. So I do what any uh, millennial would do. I take out my phone after the movie and Wikipedia, 
And he got his MDiv from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Uh, and here's my trivia question for the morning. What other notable alumni graduated from Pittsburgh Theological Seminary? R.C. Sproul. There we go. So I thought that was a good tie-in to my class this morning. I've been referencing R.C. Sproul every weekend, and him and Mr. Rogers, seminary alumni together, in the trenches uh, with the gospel. Uh, but there's this part of the movie. Uh, so the, the, the point of the movie is this. It, it's about a troubled journalist who's writing an article on Mr. Rogers. comes from this broken past, and the, the premise of the movie is Mr. Rogers is thoughtfully pursuing this journalist although the journalist should be the one pursuing Mr. Rogers to write this article. And there's this scene of the movie where Mr. Rogers, I'm not spoiling the movie, it's just a a fun part, uh, where the journalist is watching Mr. Rogers on set and he's talking to the producer of the show. And and Mr. Rogers is talking to this uh, disabled child for 30 minutes instead of shooting the show of the set. And the, edit, and the producers are getting so frustrated because they want to work and, and leave. And, and he goes, is he always like this? And he goes, you would not believe it. He spends every day praying for hundreds of people by name. And then this later scene in the movie, it shows the journalist going through this crisis and Mr. Rogers at his bedside praying for all these people. I mean, it was beautiful. Uh, anyway, you should go watch it. Family friendly, fantastic um, beautiful. Uh, I wish I would have grown up watching Mr. Rogers as a result of that. Um, anyway. Can I add something to that? Absolutely. Because it's a free day. Yeah, free day. No rules. His wife is still living. Okay. On Christian radio, I heard her. Um, she's 91 years old. And she was talking about that prayer list that he had a yellow legal pad that he carried with his pencil. He would write down names of people that he interacted with all day long got up at 5 the next morning and prayed through that list. Start out fresh again mm. next day with a blank slate of whoever God interacted with him that he would pray the next day. Wow. I thought that's amazing. It is. I mean, it's so simple. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is amazing. So, big plug. Take your family. Go watch A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I'll come with you. It'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, I might. You know, who knows? No. Yeah, uh, no, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll buy your movie ticket if I go watch it. I'll, I'll appreciate the invite. Anyway, uh, too much ranting. Last thing. Uh, next week, Bryce is going to start a new Sunday school. This is in your bulletin. It's called Lives of the Reformation. Um, and each week, he's going to be uh, giving biographies of uh, characters during the Reformation. And I remember I was a sophomore in college. I was telling my discipleship group this a couple weeks ago, but... The, uh, the guy who led me to Christ was discipling me, and I remember there was a specific moment. You don't remember a lot. Of, I don't know about you, uh, but I don't remember a lot of sermons, right? I've heard thousands of sermons in my life. I can remember a few. I can remember some of Bryce's. I remember, I don't know if you guys remember this, Bryce gave a sermon on uh, the woman who gave the copper coin. It was all that she had. You guys remember this? Remember that sermon. That was like three years ago. don't remember a lot of sermons in my life. But this guy who discipled me played a sermon during a one-on-one we were having, and it was John Piper giving a biography of Adoniram Judson, who's a, a missionary to Burma. And it blew my mind. I was like, one, it was just an amazing story. Two, a testament to God's faithfulness. And three, it just spurred me on 
in my own Christian life, that I, I want to live a, a sacrificial life. And what we see in biographies is not flawless men and women, uh, but we see men and women who had many flaws, many weaknesses, uh, yet God was faithful to them. So I'm excited for the next 13 weeks to hear about God's faithfulness to his people, uh, and also hopefully just to be spurred on in my own life. So quick plug for that. And with that being said, let me pray, and I will get into this last Sunday school. <clears throat> um, Lord God, um, just over the last 13 weeks, I've just been amazed by your faithfulness to your people, your commitment to your people, and God, just so thankful for Christ. Um, God, that he loved us so much that he would be willing to, to come to this earth and die for us, God, and God, to take on your wrath on the cross. God, it, it is amazing to see what you've done for your people. God, and I just pray that we would be a church who um, talks about that love, God, freely and openly, God, with each other, uh, with you, God, with our coworkers, with our neighbors. God, I pray that you would use us, and God, that, w- that we would love you so much that it would overflow into all aspects of our life, God, into our parenting, into our marriages, into our friendships. Uh, God, just pray that we would be a light to the world. God, help us to do that. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I referenced this uh, Westminster question earlier on, but I'd like to even have a little bit more of a discussion about this morning. Uh, Question one of of the Westminster Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? The answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And even in my hope in this class is that we would do those two things, is that we would see God's glory, that we would glorify him because of what we've learned and what we know about him and his word, and that that uh, that that worship of him would lead to enjoyment of who God is. And so um, I would just love to ask you guys, what do you think it means to glorify God? So we're leaving this class. We've learned about uh, the five solas, the five points of Calvinism. How, how can we glorify God in our daily lives? Yeah, to be aware, yeah, of who God is, and absolutely. Which is hard to do. Yeah, yeah, it's so easy in our day-to-day life to uh, get, we're too focused on work, or problems in the house, or kids, or chores, and easy to think, is God really present in me, raking my leaves today? Um, But we can glorify God, Him, and glorify Him in all those things. Whatever we do, yeah, amen. Right. Because many times it's not us responding, it's God responding through us. Yes. And, and that awareness is necessary so that it's not us who is responding. Yeah, so we glorify God in our responses to people. Dan? Sometimes it's easier to think about the opposite. Mm. You know, how, how can we not glorify God? By doing something that would embarrass Him or displease Him. So turn it around. Am I, and what am I doing now or thinking now is, is he going to be pleased with that or not? Yeah. And I think naturally some of us are just more pessimistic than others. And uh, that, that's an easy thought for, for some people. Uh, quick to see, and this isn't necessarily wrong all the time. Uh, it's helpful in a lot of situations, but we can be quick to think, 
man, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly disobeying or I'm, I'm constantly displeasing to Christ. And uh, even, I, I hope, the, the reminders of God's faithfulness to his people, God's love for his people would be evident there. And they could say, okay, even, even though I'm flawed and messed up and I doubt that I can turn, I can repent and I can run to Christ. Yeah. Yeah, thankfulness and all things. It reminds me, uh, if you if you're in my D group or on staff at USI, I've been talking about this book for probably about a month now. But uh, two, one of my my best man, my wedding, and the guy who this helped me in college. In the last six months, each of them have had uh, two still stillborn babies, and I was at one of the funerals a month ago, and the pastor, Mark Vrogop, who's at College Park, was conducting the funeral. He wrote this book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It's fantastic. Uh, but he referenced this book. It's a children's book called The Moon is Always Round. Uh, you should go on Amazon, do it during this class, and buy this book. I'm not exaggerating. It's one of the best books I've ever read. And it's like 10 pages. Uh, but the point of the book is, and I mean, I weep when I read this book. Uh, I've read it probably three times in the past week to our staff and some students. And, and so the point of the book is it's the father talking to his son. And each night they're looking up at the moon. And you would, and the moon shows, sometimes it's a, it's a half moon or a quarter moon or a full moon. And every night the father says, uh, son, is the moon always round? And the son's like, I don't know. Like, it doesn't, look, it doesn't look around, and the father strongly reminds him, the moon is always around, even when it doesn't look like it. And as you're going through the, the seasons of him looking at the moon, you're also going through the seasons of his mom's pregnancy. And eventually, uh, it goes through to the hospital where they find out the baby has died, and it goes to the funeral. And, I mean, I could just weep at this part of the book, but... The whole time the father's saying, the moon is always round, the moon is always round, the moon is always round. And then he looks at his son in the funeral, and he says, what does that mean? And he says, that God is always good. And so the point of the book is, you look at the moon, and the moon doesn't always look round. Sometimes it looks like a sliver, sometimes it looks like a half. Or it's not there. Or it's not there. But what, what is the truth? The truth is that the moon is always round, even when it doesn't look like it. Uh, and so it's so easy for us uh, to only see slivers. But the truth is that God is good all the time, even when it doesn't look like it. It's an amazing promise, an amazing, an amazing book. I'm not sure. But if you type in Amazon, the moon is always round, uh, it'll come up. You should read it, and you will cry like me. Um, but it is good. Okay, sorry, that was side tangent. But I think it, it, it really is true. If we want to glorify God, one, one of the main ways that we're going to do that is to see his goodness, and that's really hard to do sometimes. Um, but there's some really helpful reminders and illustrations of that. So, what else? Yeah.
Yeah, yeah. What she was saying is that sometimes it's just easy to take uh, things for granted. And the example of uh, trying to go somewhere and daughter stops and smells flowers, and that's just so true. Like, uh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. The root word of enjoy is joy. So yeah, what are some ways, or what what does that really look like to enjoy God forever? Yeah. Jesus says, "When we obey Him, you love me, you obey me, and in me there's fullness of joy." Mm. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And I remember I had like a mini debate with someone one time. On, on that issue, because uh, someone was saying, you know, is, is there, will someone really get more blessings if they obey? And the answer is yes. The, the question is, is just what does it mean to, what is a blessing, right? Because we would say that if you live in disobedience, there will be curse, right? You know, a good example of this is just in marriage. If I'm faithful to my wife, will there be blessing? Absolutely, there will be. And if I'm unfaithful to my wife, will there be curse? I mean, yes. I mean, just in the, uh, the practical sense of I'm disobeying God and actively my sin, but even just the realities of the hurt, the pain that comes with unfaithfulness uh, and the commitment and joy that we see in the picture of Christ to us in Ephesians 5 that is followed through in obedience. And, you know, there's dozens of different examples of that uh, but sometimes we're just easy to think like, oh, blessing just means I'm not going to get sick or blessing just means I'm going to make more money. And that's the, the great misconception about blessing is it doesn't mean that necessarily. Uh, what blessing means is uh, a relationship with our creator um, and deepening intimacy of that, among other things. Good point. Mm, yeah, Mike talked about fearing God. Oh, spilled my coffee. That's why you have lids. Um, so Mike talked about fearing God, and that's this is a good question: is is what does it mean? And we see this Genesis to Revelation, a, a, a healthy fear of the Lord. What does it mean to fear God? What does that mean? Yeah, Rick. Yeah, honor, respect Him, take Him seriously. What else? Fear the Lord. What does that mean? Oh, sorry, Dan. Peripherals. I, I think that the idea of fearing the Lord is something that we in our culture have a difficulty with because we are so lopsided in our understanding of God's nature, his characteristics, his attributes, that we focus only on one attribute and cannot see that he is a God of justice 
at the same time that he is a loving and merciful God. So he ought rightly to be feared, and we should tremble at his power, how, the, how great the difference is between he and us. Mm. And the fact that he is a righteous judge who rightly condemns us for our sin. So there is all, all that that implies in terms of fear, but at the same time, he is a in his justice, a God of mercy mm. and love and benevolence. Yeah. yeah, and so so many ways this, this fear is reverence, a, a reverence of God, I think. Res- yeah, a deep respect. Um, and, and this is, you know, the, the chief point of R.C.'s book, The Holiness of God. Uh, is like he would agree with Dan, said this is something that is a lost uh, in our faith, often is a reverence for the holiness of God. And that's why he takes that Isaiah 6 chapter where Isaiah is looking up and seeing God on the throne and he says woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips among unclean people uh, I mean it's a, it's a beautiful passage but what it should cause us to do is to see God for who he is and then for us to see who we are. It's very small he's very big uh, and he is uh, just and loving we should revere him okay a uh, couple, other, couple other questions what, what, are, what is this maybe something that you've learned in the past few weeks about who God is, about his love, his sovereignty, uh, or maybe just something that comes to mind when you think of the five souls or the five points of Calvinism. Yeah. 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 Absolutely, God's grace. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we're 13 weeks in, and honestly, I have not heard much from any college students for the last three months. So, not to put you guys on the spot, but anything for you guys? You guys are faithful note takers. I know you. I know, it's crazy. So think about it, but to, to open it up, what, what are some other things? That you, yeah, AJ. I think it's been really cool just to see like all this like intertwined together, but just to see the fact that once God has you in his right hand, it's not, you're never going to go. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It's gonna, he's going to uphold you. Yeah, I'm talking about preservation, absolutely. What are some other things? Yeah, Dan. Mm. Yeah. Starts there. Why did he choose to like me? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Okay. Let's do a okay. I have twenty minutes, and I'm going to recap thirteen weeks in twenty minutes. You ready? Ready. Here we go. Okay. So the class is titled The Doctrines of Grace, uh, Treasuring the Supremacy and Sovereignty of God. And so we started off the class talking about why doctrine matters. You know, we're coming to this class for an hour, for three months. Why does it matter? 
And the reality is because we say we, doctrine really does matter because all people hold to a doctrine. Because what a doctrine is is a set of beliefs. And we wanted to separate what are primary beliefs for secondary beliefs. And those primary beliefs are so essential to our faith because we would say this is the core of salvation and the promises of God in Scripture, that man is sinful, God is holy, uh, Jesus is God, he came to redeem sinners, the Bible is God's word. And those are primary unchanging truths to the Christian faith, essential truths to the Christian faith. We talked about secondary areas, and these would be typically things that uh, differentiate denominations. So views on baptism, views on eschatology. And concern arises when you begin to swap those out for each other. You say, ah, I'm not sure that Jesus really is God. He might just be just a man, some good things, and, but there is only one God, Jehovah. You would say, okay, that's, that's heresy, because we, we have to believe that Jesus really is God. We talked about in Christ alone. Talk about the hypostatic union, that we needed Jesus to be truly God and truly man. Then we talked about just the idea of what does it mean to treasure something. This was Matthew 13, 44, where a man goes out, sees treasure in a field, and goes and sells all that he has in order to buy that field. And Jesus is giving a parable about the kingdom of heaven. And the reality is so true for us as believers that there's a sense of we need to be willing to sell all that we have in order to follow Christ. Um, and that the, one of the key characteristics of that parable was the man sells all that he has in his joy. And, you know, something that we were even talking about with that question with the Westminster Confession is that there's a sense of, we, we think sometimes that selling what we have in order to buy something is sacrificial. Uh, so it's almost kind of like it's turned on its head when he says he's selling it in his joy, right? If you think about selling all that you have, you're like, I'm giving up so much, giving up my house, I'm giving up my cars, my 401k, I've worked so hard for these things. This man says, the treasure in that field, the kingdom of heaven, is worth all that I have so much so that I'm willing to sell it in my joy. Um, and Charles Spurgeon uh, said something fantastic related. He said, I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes that every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit, as well as the sun in the heavens, that the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses. The creeping of an aphid over the rosebud is as much fixed as the march of the devastating pestilence. The fall of leaves from a poplar is as fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche. And the beauty of the passage is, or the beauty of that quote, seems like a passage sometimes, uh, is that, God really is sovereign over all aspects of life, from the smallest of things in the earth to the biggest things. Um, and we talked about what does it mean to treasure that sovereignty, and we brought it down to three things, that he knows, that he controls, and that he loves. Those are three beautiful truths of who God is, that he knows all things, that he controls all, controls all things, and that he loves us as his people. It's amazing. And then we transition into grace alone. And under grace alone, we talked about Matthew 18. It was the parable of the unforgiving servant. And although that passage wasn't necessarily about grace, we do see very clear evidences of God's grace in that passage. Because there's the man who owes lifetimes of debt to the king. And the king still says, I have pity on you and I forgive you. Uh, and we see the, the immense grace that the king has in that passage and, and compassion and the truth that we kind of left is, and I think Kathy said this, but what have we done? Nothing. But through Christ, what have we gained? 
everything. That's an amazing truth of God's grace to us. So in faith alone, we talked about justification. So justification is a legal term to be made right with. We pictured a courtroom, that there's many charges against us, and we want to figure out how can the judge declare us righteous, or how can the judge declare us innocent. And the only reality in which we can be declared innocent is through righteousness. So the question was, how do we get righteousness? Imputed to us through Christ, by faith, through grace. And so with faith, we talked about three qualities of saving faith. I I thought this was really interesting. Uh, That there's three types of faith that you have to have. Uh, I know this sounds super, uh, what's the word when you're just mincing words? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Uh, Semantics. Semantics. It sounds like semantics, but this is an amazing truth that three qualities of saving faith. One is the object of our faith. Is our object of faith Christ? You have to have the right object. Secondly, faith is also belief, that there has to be an intellectual acceptance that Jesus Christ lived and died for my sins. So he's the object, the realities of what he's done. And then finally, a trust and a confidence that what Christ did on the cross paid for my sins and I trust him. Um, That's what it means to have faith. And we believe that we receive that faith by God's grace. And then Caleb talked about uh, scripture alone. Uh, and just such a pivotal message, right? And, and such a pivotal message at a time uh, when there's often, and I mean, this has been throughout history, but when there's been things competing for our source of truth. So, you know, for us today, that might not necessarily be uh, the Roman church. For, for us, that could be multiple things competing for our source of, uh, I have to believe this in order for this to be truth. But we would say, God's word is enough. It's sufficient for us. Um, although we love books, we love other things, our sole authority is God's word. It's our sole authority for inspiration and truth. What does the word say? I must obey, right? Uh, Pretty clever, if I don't say so myself. Uh, And then we talked about Christ alone. Um, I think this is John Frame who said, at the heart of Christ alone is the confession that the salvation of humanity depends upon the person work of Christ. Very simply, that's what Christ alone is. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians said, I've decided to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. And in that message, we talked about the hypostatic union, so that Jesus is truly man, truly God, that we see that Jesus had to be truly man in order to live a perfect life to atone for our sin. But also at the same time, Jesus had to be God in order to... uh, to live a perfect life uh, among rising from the dead, uh, and that both of those combined into Jesus, the God-man. We talked about his threefold office, prophet. The prophet is this one who comes with authority to speak the word of God. Um, we talked about Jesus coming as a priest, and that a priest comes. We see in the Old Testament that sacrifices, makes sacrifices, but also intercedes for his people. In, in that sense, we talked about substitutionary atonement, that we need a substitute to go on our behalf in order to pay the penalty for our sin. We see it with sacrifices in the Old Testament. In the book of Hebrews, we see that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. The only way is for God himself to provide a mediator for forgiveness. And then finally, Jesus is king, that he is in control, um, that he's the ultimate victor who conquered sin and death for his people. We also talked about the exclusivity of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. 
that Christ is the only one who can pay the penalty for our sin. And not only that, but that he is enough uh, for us as, as people. Uh, God's glory, Caleb talked about very simply, we talked about this in that question, that all things are for the glory of God, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. Um, okay, we're doing great. So then we intro the five points of Calvinism. And the way that we did that was we just give a brief history of Jacob Arminius and the Remonstrants. So Arminius dies, these people come along and say, we love what this guy was saying, we believe what he's saying, and they published the five articles of the Remonstrants, which is conditional election, unlimited atonement, deprivation, resistible grace, and falling from grace. Sounds a lot like, minus a couple words or articles, uh, the five points of Calvinism, which came along a few years later at the Synod of Dort, when the Reformed Church came together, they saw these five articles, they we don't believe this. We don't believe this is what Scripture teaches. And they uh, created the canons of Dort. And from the canons of Dort, uh, an article uh, or an acronym was created called TULIP. And for the past five weeks, except for when Phil was here, uh, we worked through uh, that acronym, starting with total depravity. And with total depravity, we talked about what it's not. And total depravity is not that we are as bad as we possibly could be. We're as evil and as wicked as we could be. It's not what total depravity is. Total depravity is, is that the belief that every part of our being, our soul, our mind, our body, has been corrupted with sin. And our key word there was ability. Ability. Do we have the ability on our own to choose Christ? And as a result of total depravity, we do not. We only have the ability to choose sin. And we, got, we got that from Romans 14.23. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Then we talked about unconditional election. And during the time of unconditional election, we talked about the Pelagian or semi-Pelagian view versus the Augustinian view. And the way we illustrated that was with uh, the picture of a man drowning. You remember this? So option one was you actually aren't drowning. You are, you're capable of swimming. The question is, is, do you just want to swim to the boat or not? And that would be the full Pelagian view that God would not expect you to do something that you didn't have the ability to do. That's fully Pelagian view. The semi-Pelagian view is option two, uh, and this is where you're drowning, and God tosses you the life raft. And all you have to do is reach out and grab it. He'll pull you in. You're doing some of the work. He's doing some of the work coming together for salvation. And then option three uh, was the illustration that I stole from Shylin, and it's that you're actually, you're dead at the bottom of the sea, and Christ comes into the water, pulls you out, resuscitates you, brings you back to life, and keeps you. Option three, and that's the reform view. Um, and all of this came from, from our, you know, and this is what AJ was saying, was that these are all intertwined, and that's so true because we look at total depravity, inability. As a result of our inability, we need someone to come in and rescue us, and that's what unconditional election is, uh, and that's what the elect are. Is, you know, a, another simple way to say it is they're the rescued. They're the ones that Christ has came and rescued. Then we talked about limited atonement, uh, and the question was, did Christ die to atone for the sins of every human being, or did he die to atone for the sins of the elect only? Um, and the limited atonement of you is Jesus Christ atoned for the sins of those who had trust in him. The key word was intention. Intention. <clears throat> was his divine plan to make redemption possible 
was it to make it certain. And we believe that Christ's death on the cross was purposeful and certain for those that he came to save. Um, then when Blake came and talked about irresistible grace, that God's grace is so powerful that it has the capacity to overcome our natural resistance to it. Uh, and if you can remember when you became a Christian, uh, you may, I, I remember for me personally, uh, I, I didn't really want to become a Christian. Uh, I, had, I felt like I had a lot of life going for me and things I wanted to achieve. Uh, but I, I mean, I can remember praying to God and crying out to him to save me. And I don't, in, in hindsight, that was almost 10 years ago, I don't, I, I don't ever remember, like, uh, like, I just wanted to become a Christian. It was almost like immediately uh, I saw God's holiness for what it was. I saw my sin for what it was, and God saved me. He was drawing me to himself, like we see in John chapter 6. And then last week, we talked about perseverance of the saints. Uh, we talked about Demas, how this is not a foreign concept of scripture, that we see people walk away from a faith that they professed. So we see... Uh, Demas is with Luke, Demas is with Mark, and then Demas has walked away to the present world for love of the present world. We talked about God's plan, his power, his justice, and his love, and then brought down to three final points of why we believe in God's preservation, which is that he adopted us, that there's no original kinship there. We, we don't believe that God would adopt us and then cast us out. Why would God rescue us and then just say, go? He, he chose us in our sin anyway, Romans 5.8 that he's bring us to completion, Philippians 1, 6, that there's a promise that he's going to see it through with us until the end. And then finally, Christ's protection that we see in John 10. As Christ is the shepherd, he's looking out for his sheep, the ones who he's chosen. Even just the beautiful illustration of God running after the, the one sheep. The 99 is here, and he goes after the one. Well, would he go after the one and then just let him go another time because he disobeyed? It doesn't make any sense. The promise is that God is constantly uh, protecting his sheep. The promise is that he'll give us eternal life, that they won't perish, that they won't be taken out of my hand, and that they were given to him by the Father. <clears throat> okay, that's what we talked about for the last 13 weeks. And uh, just in conclusion, just a, a couple thoughts. Um, I, I hope this has been helpful. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed this class, but, but more than anything, uh, my prayer is that you would Look at that Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, the promise to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that would be our pursuit, is that we really would want to love God more. And uh, I think often about uh, Dawson Trotman, who founded the Navigators, a Christian ministry that we model a lot of things from. And he created what's called the wheel diagram. If you were a part of Campus Arch as a student, in any capacity, you know what that is. Uh, does, anyone, does anyone know what the wheel diagram is? Uh, it's fantastic. Um, but what, what it is, is it's just a, it's a wheel diagram. Uh, and it's talking about the essential aspects of the growing Christian. And the center of the wheel is Christ, who's the, the centerpiece, the word. And then each of the spokes represents a, a different um, spiritual discipline or uh, pursuits of the Christian that would lead to a healthy believer. And the vertical spokes are his word and prayer, and the horizontal spokes are evangelism and fellowship. Nothing profound, very simple, but very true at the same time, that if we want to be growing Christians, we need to be growing in each of those four areas. And so just a couple of thoughts on each of those four. Uh, this is not super complex, but hopefully uh, practical and helpful. 
uh, that when it comes to God's word, uh, as a result of this class, my prayer is that we would be treasuring God, that we'd see him in his word and we'd long to know him more, that in his word we'd see it as a source of truth for our life, that we'd read and say, I want to obey, I'm longing for uh, And in regards to prayer, uh, that we'd pray to God, not just because we believe that he answers prayer, which he does, but also that we just long to be in a deeper and intimate relationship with the Father. When it comes to evangelism, it, it's so easy to hear Reformed theology and say, I don't need to share my faith because God's sovereign. Uh, but the reality is, is God is sovereign and he is going to save who he wills to save. But his means of doing that is through his people. It's through me and through you, through our church. And we long to be people um, who are willing to share our faith with our non-believing coworkers and neighbors and classmates and friends. And so I just pray that uh, as a result of God's sovereignty, you would just have confidence to share your faith, uh, that you may look like a fool, but it's okay, it's worth it, and that you may knock it out of the park and that person may not become a Christian, but you're sharing your faith because you love the Father and because you love your neighbor. And that's what we see so beautifully in Romans chapter nine is that Paul is just longing for his kinsmen to know Jesus. I pray that that would be our heart at this church. And then finally, with fellowship, uh, that we would see uh, Christ as our, uh, as our king source, uh, or that even our fellowship, that we would see fellowship as a source of worship, that we need to be around the body because we want to worship the Father, but also that we would see this body as a source of encouragement, that we'd be quick and not just leaping out of the door to go watch the Bears play on Sunday, uh, but that we would be uh, quick to encourage one another. Um, and even in our small groups, life like that, we, we want to be constantly encouraging one another. Uh, but even that we'd be a source of sharpening, is that we need one another uh, to correct us, uh, to help us grow more like Christ. And uh, none of that necessarily has to do with Reformed theology. Uh, those are just some... I think, essential truths to Christian faith that are on my heart. So, guys, it's been a lot of fun the past 13 weeks. Uh, this is a, a joy, and I'm really excited for Bryce, and I think he's going to do a great job. And I was getting coffee with him, and he's like, I don't feel like I'm a great storyteller. So for the next 13 weeks, we're going to encourage Bryce and let him know, Bryce, by God's grace, you're a great storyteller, man. So uh, let me pray, and uh, yeah, we'll jump in. Father God, I pray, um, God, as this class concludes, that simply uh, we would just see more of who you are. God, that we would see your love for us. God, your holiness, your might, your grace. Um, God, that we would long uh, to be in an intimate relationship with you. God, and I just pray uh, for your faithfulness to us. God, that we uh, would see it. God, even went so hard to see. God, that we would see that the moon is always round and that you are always good. I pray that would be true for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.